have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Hebrews. We're going to begin in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, and uh, we'll read together. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. But you have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray, God, that we would allow it to be the ultimate foundation in our life. God, I pray that we would just set aside our our worries or issues or struggles or whatever's going on for the next few minutes, God, and just holy gaze to consider Jesus. Holy Look unto you, Father, to see you move in a mighty way in this place. God, that your spirit, God, would help us to grow. And in the, in the light of the issues that face us in this world, God, that we would, above and beyond them all, be men and women of the book first. Lord, I pray that you would have your way. In this place, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time, I intended to do chapter 2. We made it through verse 1 almost. I promise. Well, mostly promise. I'm not going to do that again. So, let's, let's take a look. We're going to just, just rehearse where we've come from. So, we look at uh, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore... Always, whenever we're in study, when we find the word therefore, we got to back up. we got to remember, why is he telling us this? Why is he saying, don't neglect, don't drift, uh, pay the more earnest heed to what's being said? So we remember what's happening in, in chapter 1. And we remember that we've been talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything, over all things. The Word declared that He's greater than the prophets. The Word declared that He's greater than the angels. The Word declared that He is God's finished revelation. That God provided revelation, we're going to see today, through angels, to prophets, to His people. And we have that today in the books on our lab. It's called the Old Testament. That's part one. Part two. God has finished everything He has to say to His people Finish the revelation he has to give through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the New Testament. Finished. God doesn't have another revelation to declare. In fact, he said, he has in these last days. When did the last days begin? Well, we know when Peter was at Pentecost, what did he call the days he was in? In the last days, it was spoken in Joel the prophet, right? Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will prophesy, see visions, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. That God's revelation, His revelation is finished. And it's greater than the earlier revelation because it came through whom? The Son. And who's the Son? 
Jesus Christ. And what is he? Greater than everything. Remember? He is more, he's superior to all things. In fact, he, he develops a spectacular superiority of the Son over everything in the universe in chapter 1. And he's going to continue in that vein through the book. Expressing the glory of Jesus Christ. He told, him, he told us through the word, he's the heir of all things. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a big deal, right? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That he, Jesus Christ, created all things that have been created. That he, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the shining forth of the Father, the Son. It's amazing. He's the exact representation of God's character. That he, by himself, made a purification for sin, right? And that what? He sat down at the right hand of the Father, which means for us... Work's finished, right? If you're working, what do you do? Stand up. If you're done, you sit down. He sat down at the right hand of majesty and he declared that Jesus Christ is to be worshipped by every being. What did the word say? How many knees will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All creation will worship Jesus Christ. And then we came to chapter 2 of Hebrews and we read in verse 1 the very first command. So we've just been talking about the excellency of Jesus. And the first command is, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Remember I said God has spoken. Oftentimes we're looking for the reality of God speaking. Here's what the word declares. God has spoken. He said it. He spoke in His Son. He has spoken. He has delivered that to us. So are we listening? And that's as far as we got last time. Because, we, you know, that's such an important, vital question to be asking ourselves. Are you listening? Are you listening to what God through His Son has said? Or are you allowing things both bad and good to l- let you drift? But look, the river that we're on goes to hell. And the anchor that we anchor to, Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 6, we'll look at it in a a moment, says that we're anchored right into the Holy of Holies. That pulls us in, that draws us in, that holds us fast. What is it that holds us fast? Our faith. In who? Jesus Christ. He is our hope, the anchor. If we drift, the end result is hell. Remember we talked last time, if we, if we decide we're going to be obedient or rebellious against God, our situation is not going to get worse. I shared with you my story, what happened to me last time, that that, that journey ends ultimately in a very bad place. And that's the problem of neglect if we're not listening to what God has said. And what God has said is epitomized in His Son. In all that Jesus Christ came both to say and to do. Are we paying attention? Are we paying attention? We don't want to drift away. The word is para-ryomen. Para-ryomen means to just float by. You don't have to do anything to float by. In fact, all you have to do is nothing. And you'll just float by. Float by, lest we drift away. But Hebrews 6, 17 says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability, the unchanging nature of His counsel, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things, one that it is impossible for God to lie, we have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope before us. Have you fled for refuge? Where's that refuge? In Christ. This hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Where's the anchor in? Well, the anchor's in Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where's the epitome of Jesus in the temple? Where was the epitome of Jesus in the tabernacle? It was in the mercy seat. In the box, the Ark of the Covenant, where all the failures of men were kept. The Ten Commandments that they broke. The bowl of manna, the bread from heaven which they despised. Just like the bread from heaven in Jesus Christ. 
that they despised. The, 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 the rod that budded by Aaron that symbolized their rebellion against God's proclaimed will before man. All their failures were in that box. But what was on top of that box was the mercy seat made out of hammered gold. Because the Son of God was going to be hammered. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be broken for you and I. That's where our anchor is. It goes behind the veil. We were once separated from God. But Jesus Christ has torn that veil and opened the way so that we can come to the Holy of Holies. Our hope set. Our anchor in Jesus holding us fast. Are you listening? Are you listening? So important. Man, it's, it's so important. Because the more we deafen our ears to the Word of God, the more we put fingers in our, in our ears and, and go, la, 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 I don't, can't hear you, can't hear you, can't hear you. Should read stories in the Scripture. There's a, a guy named Pharaoh that God did what to him? Harden his heart. There's a nation called Israel that didn't recognize their Messiah. You know the Word of God tells us why? Because God what? Hardened their heart. When Isaiah the prophet was standing before the presence of Almighty God and God said, Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And God said, Go. But hearing they won't hear you. And seeing they won't perceive. Because their hearts are hard. And so, those same hearts were still hard when Jesus was speaking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just like them, the more we plug our ears, the more we say, no, 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 it's not, this word's not for me. The closer we are into that drift, to just drift away. Look at the result of disobedience in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Now think about it. The word, remember the first, God in times past, in various ways, in various times, spoke through the prophets. So we have God speaking through the prophets. We have God delivering His word through a mediator. We see it in the law. When God delivered the law to Moses, there was there was God delivering two angels to Moses to the people. That's what he's referring to here. In fact, if we look at Deuteronomy 33, 2, it says, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with ten thousand of his saints, as the angels, ten thousands of his saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Uh, the angels were there. Paul tells us that in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgression, till the seed should come. That's Messiah. To whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, Moses. Moses was the mediator. God gave the law to Moses. Moses brought the law to the people. Remember the people said, No, may, may God stop speaking. Moses, you just go talk to him. You just go get it. You just take care of it. Moses became that mediator. Moses became this incredible picture of the Messiah. In fact, later on in Deuteronomy, he's going to say that another prophet like Moses is going to come, which was a picture of the Messiah and his coming. But what happened to Moses? God said to Moses, Moses, go and strike the rock, and it'll provide water for the people. So what did Moses do? He went and he struck the rock, and what happened? A crevice, a crack, broke in the rock of ages. A cleft, if you will. And water flowed forth from that rock to water the people. Some estimates, as, as many as two million people. That's a lot of water. And all the people received water. The Bible tells us there was another time to make the picture complete. That the people were complaining for water. Complaining for water. We want water. We want water. And the Lord said to Moses, Now Moses, you speak to the rock. And Moses walked over and what did he do? He struck the rock again and water flowed forth and the people were still watered. But God said to Moses, 
You don't get to come in now. You don't get to enter into the promised land. Well, it seems so harsh. Not really. He was taking the place of Messiah. God said, Messiah will be struck once. And after that, all we have to do is ask. And he will give us water to drink. Isn't that what we read in the New Testament? Jesus said, come unto me, you who are thirsty. And beat me with a rod and you can have... That's not what it says, is it? (laughs) Come unto me, you are thirsty. And I will give you drink. But Moses lifted up in his pride and his anger for the people smote the rock. And so what is it that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us? If the word spoken through angels proves steadfast... God said, if you walk in my ways, I'll bring you in. And if you don't, I won't. Did God keep his word? So God kept his word to Moses. That word, that law which was given, which is less glorious than the word spoken by Jesus Christ. That's the point he's making. Not, it's, it's still true, still just as true then, today as it was then. But what's the point that he's saying? Look, if this word proved totally reliable, and God judged people who disobeyed, how much more the reality that we face? Look at verse 3. Then how shall we escape? If God judged him, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You guys realize that our lives are made up of choosing what to neglect. Right? I, I remember when, when me and Kathy were young. We're not so young anymore. She's even less young. She had a birthday. So she is... Don't do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's wise. I'll let that go. <clears throat> so when we were young... Life was crazy. And I was, uh, I was working a job uh, um, painting freeways and roads in California. In fact, I don't think there's a road or a city that I didn't paint in in the entire state. And uh, sometimes 90, 95 hours a week. I, there were times I came home for an hour to go back. During those times, I chose to neglect my family for work. Life's full of choices. All you get to choose is what you're going to neglect. What are you going to neglect? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How? There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, is there? There is no other way. There is nothing for you to do. There's no way to escape if we neglect this great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. God speaking through His Son. What did Jesus say? I only say the words my Father gives me to speak. I only do the deeds my Father gives me to do. He fulfilled the perfect Word of God. Absolutely, completely, without a doubt. And it first began to be spoken by Him, and then was confirmed by who? Disciples and apostles, right? That were eyewitnesses, that were with Him. That's how we have the Word. That's how we have the word today. It was confirmed through him. So the question comes down to, what are we neglecting in our life? we got to ask ourselves these questions. Remember last time we talked about it. If you would judge yourself, you won't be judged. But if you fool yourself, well then you can be. Are we neglecting? Our salvation. That word neglect, it means to rudely and willfully ignore. Rudely and willfully ignore. I want to remind you of a story that Jesus told. We're going to flip over in our Bibles to Matthew 22, uh, an incredible section that really I think has a lot to say about salvation and how salvation works. And so we'll pick it up in Matthew 22, verse 1. Let's look at it together. It says, And Jesus spoke. To them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. 
Now, I just want you to think of all the parallels. Has the God of the universe arranged a marriage for his son? Yes. yes. Who is it that Jesus will wed? The church, right? The church is called the bride of Christ. At the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we're studying about it on, on Wednesday nights as we work our way through uh, the book of Revelation. Um, <clears throat> at the kingdom, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, we talked about prior to the kingdom, there will be a feast called the Feast of the Great God. That's a feast of judgment where the carrion birds of the earth are going to feast on the flesh of mankind who have rejected Christ. Then we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And a lot of times people say, well, how, how, do, we, what's, how do I get from one to the other? You just answer the invitation. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22, isn't it? Look what he says. He said he arranged a marriage for his son, and he sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. But they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and the fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And they went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. We get to choose what we neglect, right? And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. Who were the servants? prophets what did god do he sent out his prophets what were the prophets doing inviting to the feast but jesus would say to the scribes and the pharisees and the leaders of israel which of the prophets did your fathers not kill they wouldn't respond to the invitation in fact we see a similar parable in the gospel of luke in Luke 14, 18 through 20, he kind of lays out this section where they talk about uh, not coming to the feast. Look how, look how Luke talks about it. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I asked, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask, have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. It's all a question of what you will neglect. But here's the scary thing, guys. More, more often than not, when we think about those things, we are we're focused on bad things. Drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, whatever things we might be wrapped up in that would cause us to drift. But none of those are the examples that Jesus gives. Jesus said, I bought property and I'm just too busy. I got a new place. I got I to gotta check it out. I'm really wrapped up into this life that I'm building. Or I bought five oxen. <clears throat> I need to test them. Man, my job. It's just, it just takes a lot of my time. But you know what? I'm, 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 I'm just, uh, I just got to go for it. This is the time. And so I'll neglect all else for work. Or I'll neglect all else for a computer. Or I'll neglect all else for an iPhone screen. This is how I know I'm getting old. That's the craziest thing ever. Sometimes I sit back and... The other day, me and Kathy had my oldest and his family over, and they're over sitting down at the table. We eat, and we talk a little bit, and they go sit on the couch, and bloop, out come all these phones. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and I'm looking around like, this is just dumb. But it's what we do, right? What will you neglect? What will you neglect? Now, these things aren't, we don't look at these things. We don't say, oh, my, <clears throat> my work's a bad thing. We don't say the, the, the property that I own, the farm I have, the life I have, that's a bad thing. Nobody looks at those as bad things. Or my wife. Or my family. The things that begin to cause us, or can cause us, to neglect so great salvation. Nobody sees homes and businesses and families and stuff as so bad. Nobody. 
Yet it's these things that Jesus says people are using to excuse them from the invitation. It's these things that are holding people back. Sometimes we so focus, we're so focused on one of those areas. Maybe you don't have a husband or a wife, and I so badly, I so badly want this. It's a good thing. But it causes us to neglect that which is most important. Maybe it's a desire for a child. How can that be bad? And it takes hold and you begin to neglect that which is of greater import. And the problem is we in the church don't see those things. We only see the bad stuff. And we find the church today more often than not, in a pretty steady drift. Neglecting. How shall we escape if we are neglecting? How shall we escape? The word goes on in Matthew 22. It says, But when the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies. He destroyed those murderers. He burned up their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to the highways, as many as you find, and invite to the wedding. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. How many people get invited? You know, that pretty much sums up all kinds of people, don't it? If we make them in two categories. Is there another category? Bad, good. In between? No, there's no such thing as in between. Either bad or good. And the reality is, he could have just said bad, because they're not too many good. He gathered them all, bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except how? Nobody comes, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have to understand that at the wedding feast, how was it that they got their wedding garment? It was so easy. You come walking in the door, right at the door is a big box full of wedding garments. And you acknowledge in order to get into the wedding, I got to put this garment on. I got to put on Christ. I got to put on his righteousness because my robes aren't fit to go in. You get it? So they put on they put on the wedding garment, but there's a dude walking and trucking around inside there with no garment on. That just means he despised the provision that he had. I don't need that. So what did the king say? You're out of here, bro. They bound him and cast him outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How shall we escape? For many are called. Everyone they could find. Few are chosen. How do you get chosen? Well, the book of Ephesians is very clear about that. But if you want to, just for a quick moment, the book of Ephesians says the way I get chosen is I have to be in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says the way I get in Christ is I believe. I get in Christ by faith. I put on my wedding garment by faith in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That's how you're chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, read it sometime. Ephesians chapter 1 goes through what's called a bracha, a 14 verse sentence by Paul talking about all the blessings we have being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? And he goes through and he says, you're chosen. That's a good thing. You're chosen. How did I get chosen? I was in Christ. How did I get in Christ? I'm in Christ by faith, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I believed. I entered in. I became part of the chosen. Many were called, but few are chosen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. Thinking about escape, escape. 
How, if we neglect, how shall we escape? How shall we escape? Hebrews 12, 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Man, Jesus said, he said, they don't hear me. They don't hear me. Are you listening? Because he's talking. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? There's only one name by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. Period. There is no other name that should be at the tip of our lips. We may be extremely excited for one candidate or another. But the name of Jesus should be on the tip of your tongue. It is Jesus who saves. It is Jesus who is the answer for our nation. And our nation can't hear us because we're not listening. We're not filled with the power we need from Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're in a drift. We're in a drift. We want to listen. Lord, what are you telling your church? God, what are you speaking to your church? That we be sensitive. So many people are looking for a special word, but don't you know that the word of God tells us something every day? All you got to do is peel apart the pages, wipe off the dust, and put your nose in. But Jackie, I don't understand it. Well, I'll make you a deal. I'll tell you how quick you can come to understand things in the Bible. Don't stop reading until you understand something. What? Yeah, you'll be shocked how quick you go, Oh, I understood that. It's not a question of I don't understand it. I might not like it. But it's not a question to understand. It's English. We're reading. I'm not asking you to read Greek. We're reading English. The Word is there. The Spirit is speaking. The Word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to speak in your life. Are you listening? It's all about a question of neglect. What are we neglecting? Are we making time for Jesus? Do we make time for Him? So what's the revelation we must believe that we don't want to neglect? The authority of Jesus Christ, who He is. He is supreme. He is God in the flesh. It at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and then the apostles that heard Him. (coughs) It was confirmed by those who heard Him. What was the authentication of their message? Look, Hebrews 2 verse 4. Look at it. It says, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Man, it's amazing you start looking in the Scripture. You know, a, a careful study through the Psalms. We just did one. I, don't, I have no idea how long it took. But, but we're in Revelation now, which m- might take longer than the Psalms did. I don't know. But when we went through the Psalms, are you aware that the Psalms declare that only Yahweh Himself can calm a storm? So when Jesus stands on a boat and says, Peace be still! And it all quiets. What just happened? Yahweh calmed the storm. You know the Psalms declare that? Unequivocally. No question. Do you know that the Psalms unequivocally declare that only Yahweh can open the eyes of the blind? How many times do we see that happen? How many times did Jesus... I'm I'm reminded of the man calling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are all telling him, hey, dude, you're being kind of loud, bro. It's quiet. And he, he won't listen to him. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops and says, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to open my eyes so I can see. You know, when Jesus touched his eyes and made him seeing, that was Yahweh opening the eyes of the blind, just like the word of God declared. Only Yahweh can do that. Only Him. So incredible as we look at the signs, the wonders that follow Jesus Christ. You know, a sign is a miracle that has a lesson in it. Something we can learn. 
Well, here's something we can learn. If Jesus can open the eyes of the blind, then He can surely open your eyes so that you can see wondrous things in His Word. All you have to do is ask. Oh, by the way, that's in the Psalms. Open my eyes, O Yahweh, that I might see wondrous things in your word. Who opens the eyes of the blind? Yahweh does. Yahweh opens the eyes. It was confirmed. Jesus came and spoke, and it was confirmed by the things He did, because the Word of God said, keep your eyes peeled for the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, the one spoken of by Daniel the prophet, the one spoken by all the other prophets, saying, man, there's one coming, John the Baptist declared, the sandals I'm not even worthy to loose. I don't even want to tie his sandals. But He is coming as the Lamb to take away the sin of the world. There's only one person who can take away the sin of the world. Only one who can forgive. According to the Word of God, it's Yahweh. Yahweh. Confirmed the Word of Jesus Christ through signs and wonders and various miracles. And then what else? Gifts. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 says that Jesus Christ gave gifts to the church. He gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gave gifts to the church. Maybe those weren't the ones you were thinking of. The Bible also says he gives gifts to the church. In Romans chapter 12, it tells us about a variety of gifts that God gives to the church. That he pours out upon his church. So that he can confirm his word. The Bible also talks that the Holy Spirit becomes the pneumaticos. The air. The power for the power tool. You're the power tool. He's the air. That He can flow through you and equip you to do the things God is calling you to do. All these things the Word of God declares. We might hold fast to the Word that has been confirmed through Jesus and the apostles. In Acts 2.22 it says, Men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, And signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And also the apostles, Acts 2.43. Then great fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. But here's the reality. The Bible also talks about the devil doing lying signs and wonders, don't it? How do I know then? What if I just don't want to believe? Then how shall we escape if we neglect? Is there a way to tell? Well, one, the signs and wonders of the devil always make a situation worse. More blood instead of water. More frogs. More flies. More lice. Yippee. But what does the Word of God declare to us? Signs and wonders are always associated with the Word of God. Always associated with the Word of God. That the Word of God provides authentication for the sign. The Word of God authenticates. Deuteronomy 13, 1-4, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke, saying, Let us go after other gods. You know those gods you've been worshiping? Those aren't the ones you're supposed to listen to. Which you have not known, and let us go serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. There are two religions today who claim to have received a new vision or another dream which led them to another God 
and sprouted up in a new religion, too. And they're actually very similar to one another, although you might not notice it on the surface. And one is Islam, and the other is Mormonism. And they both started the same way, by a dreamer of dreams, or a vision, or a sign, or a wonder. But what did that sign or wonder do? Led them away from Yahweh. God said, don't listen to that one. He said in verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His, His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. One, Islam received its revelation in 600s, 600 AD. Mormonism in the 1800s. And both were fooled. By what? Signs and wonders that didn't hold fast to the already received Word of God. The Word of God was already there. It was already there. In Deuteronomy 18, he says in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Who's he talking about? God in time past spoke through the prophets, as in these last days spoken through his son. God said, when my son comes and he starts speaking, listen to him. That's Deuteronomy. That's a long time ago. The writer of Hebrews almost quoting the exact same idea. Are you listening? How can we, if we don't pay more excellent, more exceedingly more heed to what Jesus has spoken, how shall we escape so great, so great a salvation? But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Can we see all those tombs? In November, I'm going to go to Jesus's. You know what's different about his? Yeah, he's not there. It's empty. How shall we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, then that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. So if, it, if, if, a, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams says something's going to happen and it don't happen, the Bible says he's false. Don't listen to him. Period. If he says something's going to happen or something's going to come to pass... And it does, and he tells you now, leave Yahweh and serve another God. Don't listen to him. That's how you know. We hold fast to what the word of God teaches. And what was the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life? What were the signs and wonders? Look at them. Healing. Casting out demons. Here's a fun little study for you. Find when that ever happened before Jesus. Go ahead. Dive through. Look at every page. Find where a demon was ever cast out. When Jesus cast out the first demon, you know what he was declaring? War. This is mine, not yours. What is it that Jesus said? If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The king was there. And the king would not abide. All of these things taking place. But then <clears throat> the scripture goes. we got like five minutes. I'm going to get you there. I promise. The scripture goes to Psalm 8. Okay? Psalm 8. So we see. Okay, we don't want to neglect. We are going to choose what things we neglect. We don't want to neglect this great salvation which has been offered to us through Jesus Christ. Who has spoken to us a better word. We want to set our anchor to Him. Hold fast to Him. Make sure that He is central in our life. That our life is not built around some other desire. Whether good or bad. But that our life is focused 
on Christ, that we are holding fast, that we are paying attention to the most important one in our life. And then he says in Hebrews 2 verse 5, For he, God, has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Psalm 8 is talking about God's glory in creation and the elevation which God has given to man. He's not talking about Jesus yet. He's talking about man. When God created man, what was God's purpose in creating man? That man would rule with Him. That man would keep all things on earth under subjugation, under submission. That God said, you have been created for this. To put all things in subjection under man's feet. So don't neglect your salvation because it's not to angels that God made this deal. He made this deal to man. And then he asked the question, what is man? I wrote down several things. Man is a knucklehead. Man does dumb things. Anybody here that can't attest to that reality? Okay, man is a knucklehead. What else is man? Man's an inventor. He creates incredible things. Are you kidding me? They're doing face transplants now. We're just talking earlier before service started that they've created glasses that the colorblind can see color through. That they can create the valve inside a heart. They can do surgery on a baby inside the womb of a mother. Man's an inventor. Man, man, man has... Look at the crazy stuff we got. But the kids today, I tell them I didn't have a cell phone when I grew up. They think it was cruel punishment or something. Yeah. The first cell phone was like a suitcase you carried around. It was nobody wanted that. It was bad when the company handed us, here's your cell phone. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't want this big dumb thing. Now look at it. What else do we know about man? He's a knucklehead, he's an inventor, he's an overcomer. You see the stories about what man can do, the odds he can overcome, the things he can accomplish? It's incredible. Which one of us isn't moved when we see a story about some incredible uh, uh, physical feat that man either does or, or, or some, some tragedy that he overcomes? That's man. God made him that way. God made him that way, guys. God made him to overcome incredible odds. But here's another thing. Man is supposed to be a conqueror, but he's not. He's not a conqueror. He's a carcass. Because the exact same thing takes us all. There's one enemy we can't defeat. There's one enemy that we can't beat. Everyone dies. The healthy and the unhealthy. The rich and the poor. The educated and the uneducated. The good and the bad. And listen, everything that we triumph over dies with us. It doesn't last. Everything that we think we triumph over dies with us. But God made man to rule with Him. God made man to rule with Him. God crowned man with glory and honor. He created man to put all things in subjection beneath his feet. But what happened to man? Man fell. Man fell. Look at the end of verse 8. For in that he put 
all in subjection under Him. He left nothing that is not put under Him. But, you see that word? But, now we do not see all things put under Him. All things aren't... Man is subjected by everything. War. Look at the broken things in our crazy world. That's man at his best. But now we do not yet see all things put on him. Don't neglect this great salvation. Why? Because God did not promise the world to come to angels, but He promised the world to come to man. And He's going to put all things in subjection underneath His feet. But we don't see it now. Is that true? We look at our world now, and our world is a mess. And we look at our world now, and, and there's so much hope and possibility, but somehow it all ends up crumbling like so much ash. But look at verse 9. We have the word but again. But we see Jesus. But is a word of strong contrast. It means unlike what I just talked about. That's why I said that first part in Psalm 8 is dealing with man. And how man was created. And God's plan and purpose for man that has been crumbled in the fall. That's all been lost. But... What do we receive in this great salvation? The fulfillment of Psalm 8. Don't neglect what Jesus Christ has wrought for us. Look what he says in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Same words used of mankind. We know that Jesus became a man, right? God Became flesh. Why? He says in the next phrase, why did he become a man? For the suffering of death. So through the suffering of death, he, Jesus Christ, is crowned with glory and honor. Remember Psalm 8? Man is to be crowned with glory and honor. But man fell. Jesus came. He dealt with the last enemy that we can't deal with. He dealt with death. And he was crowned in glory and honor. For what purpose? That he, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by the grace of God, might taste death for who? Why don't we want to neglect this salvation? Do you see the incredible promise? But Jesus took on all the brokenness of man, and it crushed him. Took on all our brokenness, and it broke him. And from inside the belly of death, he poisoned death and was vomited back out. Death couldn't hold him. Couldn't keep him down. Couldn't defeat him. But he destroyed death. He tasted death for everyone. Now when man tastes death, there is no sting. There is no stinger. There is no judgment. Jesus Christ bore all that unless you neglect the salvation that he's offered. Jesus Christ took the sting. Jesus Christ took the judgment. So that now, death is a doorway to glory. Death is a doorway to glory. Death is a doorway to glory. Why should we not neglect this salvation? Why should we pay attention, listen, hold fast to Jesus Christ? Because drifting away, there is no other name by which men must be saved. Jesus Christ has defeated death so that now death is a doorway to glory. We close our eyes here. Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord present with him death is a doorway to glory 
And so man is redeemed. There is a world to come that man will rule alongside the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Psalm 8 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we can see that promise fulfilled through the salvation that Jesus Christ has wrought for you and I. So what should we do? What do we do about it? What do we do about all this? What do I do? What do I do? Put your faith in this great salvation. Is no time to be playing games. Sometimes life's just going to be hard. From here to death. But when you die, death is a doorway to glory. And Paul said, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to compare with the glory on the other side of that door. That's the great salvation. Man doesn't have to fear death. Death is just a doorway to glory. But we don't want to be drifting. We don't want to be neglecting. Please look, open your eyes and see. What am I neglecting? Some things really matter. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, as we just come before you, as we opening the beauty and majesty of your word, God, I just pray as we've worked our way through, Lord, if... uh, if anything is confusing, somebody's mind maybe is, is uh, tripping over something I said, God, I just pray by your Spirit, you just wash it away. Father, make your word clear so that we can know that there is a great salvation wrought through Jesus Christ, the Son, who is God in the flesh, the creator of all the universe. And you defeated death. So now there's no sting there. There's just walking through the doorway to the presence of God. God, I pray that, that there may be some here this morning that are challenged. So I ask God that your spirit would move. And that you would lead them to place their faith in so great a salvation. There may be some here today just hurting because life hurts. And I pray, God, by the Spirit, you lead them that though we don't see everything under the feet now, we will. And there will be victory even in the defeats we face in this world in Christ. God, I pray as we just look to you in worship, as we come before you now at the close of the service, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, who has not put their faith in you, that as there will be elders and prayer counselors available up front, God, I just pray they come up and they would ask for prayer and receive all we have to do is put on the wedding garment all we have to do is put on Christ all we have to do is believe Romans 10 9 and 10 confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved may we not neglect so great a salvation And may you empower your church to be and do the things you call us to. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.